Today on the show, we have been friends, dear listener. What we do now is out of friendship. We shall forget that you struck us. Mm-hmm. But only if you strike us again. <laughs> A little harder. Yes, please. <laughs> Don't make me ask twice. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, oh. we're talking about Count Count, Count Fenring. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> Count Hazemir Fenring. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. What a character. He brought out the Southern in me. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna bring out a lot in us today, I think, during this conversation. What a character. A longtime favorite of ours. Yeah. You've been a Fenring Stan since day one <laughs> yep. of this podcast. True. Yeah. And here we are finally getting to talk about him for a few reasons, actually. Right. First of all, this was a topic suggestion from listener Aaron Dobrenin. Yeah. So, Aaron, thank you so much for writing in and suggesting this topic. Reason number two we're tackling this today is because our lovely patrons voted on it. Yeah. Our patrons get to help us decide which deep dive topics we tackle next. And this was the one that y'all voted on this month. Yeah. So here we are. Suck it, souk doctors. (laughs) Get wrecked. (laughs) Indeed. Well, before we can get into it, let's do some housekeeping. Fenring's coming over. We want to be tidy for him. For real. Spoiler warning. Today's episode will contain spoilers for Dune. Mm, For the mm -hmm. book Dune, if you've heard of it. Also a little bit for Dune Messiah. But specifically, Fenring is directly involved at the ending of Dune. So serious warning, read Dune. Yeah. (laughs) Have read it before today's episode. Yeah, this isn't one of those soft spoiler warnings where we're being vague. No. We're talking about the literal end of the first book, so make sure you've read it. This isn't a gentle caress, okay? It's a firm, <laughs> strong warning. Oh. I know. Best kind of warning. The best kind. <laughs> As a reminder, the best way to support us here on the show and help us do what we do best week after week is to become a patron at mm. patreon.com slash gamjabar. True. You get really cool benefits like ad-free episodes, extra bloopers, bonus clips, and access to our exclusive Discord where you'll get to hang out with me and Leo directly and get to know all of the geeky, fun, and quirky members of our Siege community. Indeed. Speaking of which, we have to thank, as always, our Quisat Hatterack level members, Case Aiken, Nate Hyde, gentlemen, your kindness is an indication of your fine genetic material. Watch out, Margot Fenring. She's on her way. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully you're into it. Hopefully you're available. Hopefully, (laughs) for sure. Another great way to support the show is to check out our custom-designed Dune merchandise Mm -hmm. on gomjabarshop.com. We have exclusive Dune-themed apparel and accessories and homeware and art for you to check out and buy and fill your apartment with so that when you bring a potential partner home from the bar, you got to answer some weird questions. The best part. (laughs) Answering (laughs) questions about Dune. Well, finally, we love to hear from you. We love to hear about your 
dating nightmares when people accidentally bring up Dune and you talk too much about it. <laughs> so let us know. Tell us all about it. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. You can, of course, ping us in the Discord if you're a Discord member, a patron. But the email's always open because that's how emails work. We take feedback. We take questions, concerns, jokes, pet pics, tales of Amtal combat. Mm. Whatever you want, we're here. That's right. Okay, that takes care of housekeeping. Before we talk about Fenring, let's talk about why we should talk about Fenring. Yes. Yeah. Because in the grand scheme of things, some of you might be thinking, I don't know, doesn't this guy only show up like twice <laughs> in the whole story? Yeah. What's the big deal? <laughs> right. <laughs> so the answer is, well, the poll. And also Eric. <laughs> right, Done. Y'all are making us do this. Fucking stop asking questions. <laughs> Moving on, as much as I just told you to email us with them. No, we are kidding. There's, of course, a few reasons. And despite the fact that he only shows up like twice in the book and never again, no, not even mentioned or name dropped later on. Tragic. Frank, tragic. what are you doing? Yeah. From a plot perspective, he is actually... Very significant. He is mm -hmm. the hand of the emperor. Ever heard of him? Shaddam the Fourth, Carino. Right. Effectively, he's the most potent tool in the emperor's tool belt. And understanding Fenring's life adds a ton to some very familiar scenes, even if there's only two. <laughs> For sure. And even beyond the familiar scenes in Dune, there's some background about Fenring that really enhances our understanding of the Bene Gesserit yeah. and his role in their plans because yeah. that's only hinted at very very briefly like in one or two sentences in the book itself and it's not until you unpack his life in the encyclopedia and other sources in the extended canon that you learn how truly deeply he ended up being involved with the Bene Gesserit despite being passed over as a Kwisatz Haderach so there's a lot more to his character than meets the eye as well right yeah I mean, not to mention he also could have fucking killed Paul. <laughs> like He could have ended that story right there. <laughs> that's the end of Dune, and he doesn't. It's his decision-making, really, right. that makes right. him one of the most significant people in history. If Paul is the fulcrum upon which history pivoted, fucking Fenring let it happen. Yeah, Fenring was the guy who saw it happening, could have stopped it, and did not. Right, right. So all of that having been said, the game plan for today's episode is that we're going to be looking at the books and the Dune Encyclopedia as usual, discussing Fenring's early life, and then breaking down his experience on Arrakis and in Dune. And then finally, we'll wrap up by talking about what happens after the end of the book and where the rest of his life goes. Indeed. There's also a fun little tidbit about Hark Al Arba. And Fenring, there might be a little connection there, some fun theory crafting that we'll get into later as well. Mm -hmm. A reminder that we did this incredible episode about our boy Harak Alarba. So go check that out too. He's like the Shakespeare of Dune, lives yeah. the coolest life. Super dope. Restaurant owner in Arcane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. So cool. Okay. With housekeeping out of the way, everything's tidy for our guest, Fenring. We're going to take a quick break. So stick around. When we're back, we're talking about Fenring's earliest years. Where was he born? And to whom? Stay tuned. You'll find out. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's talk about Count Fenring. Yeah. Before he was a count, when he was just a little boy. Just a tiny count. <laughs> <laughs> Baby count. <laughs> Baby count. Let's turn back the clock and talk about his early years and childhood. Yeah. Hazemir Fenring was born in the year 10,133 AG on planet Chiton. No. Hey. Whoa. We know that place. Yeah. <laughs> and he was born to his mother who was called Cerny Fenring. Yeah. Yeah. C-I-R-N-I Fenring. Yeah. Probably Cerny. Now, Chiton, of course, is the imperial capital. And Fenring, it sounds like, was raised in the imperial courts. This is a world he has deeply been involved in since the moment he was born. Right. Our boy has been around royalty and around the halls of power his entire life. And you can imagine how formative that is for the man he eventually becomes and the influence he eventually gains in this Imperium. It is interesting to like talk about a character being born on a planet and it's not some, like we're not talking about some obscure planet. This isn't a Chusik. This isn't a Portran. It's fucking Kaiden. He's born in the capital, like the capital planet, basically. Right. Yeah. It is very rare in even the expanded Dune lore that you hear about someone born on Kaiten. So Fenring is a bit unique in that aspect. (laughs) Yeah. He's like friends when they're, when you're like, where are you from? They're like, I'm from New York. You're like, cool. Where are you born? They're like, New York. You're like, what? Like Manhattan? And they're <laughs> what? like, yeah. I was born in Manhattan. I was what? Like, what? <laughs> in the Empire State Building, at the top of the Empire State Building? <laughs> are you the chosen one? You were born <laughs> wearing Tim's? <laughs> Will you bring balance to the apartment? To the Mets and the Yankees? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also say that's a joke. Even I only barely understand, <laughs> but right. I think it works. <laughs> I think it works. Those are both, yeah. like, is, are they new? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> sports. Something about sports. Something yeah. sports. Yeah. Write to us. Explain that joke to us. Explain <laughs> our own joke to us, please. Please. Now, Fenring's mother, turns out, was actually sister to Elrude Ninth Carino, mm. who was the emperor at the time and Shaddam's father. Yeah. And so this actually makes... Hazemir and Shaddam, straight up cousins, like they're family, they're related to each other. Yeah. What's interesting though is the encyclopedia doesn't really hit on this point that much. Like no one's out here calling Fenring the cousin of the emperor or anything. Right, right. It's always established that they're just like close friends and confidants. Right. So that leads us to question maybe how important family even is in the imperial court. Like obviously someone who's from House Carino, like Shaddam has a much higher status than someone like Fenring, who's from like this mid-tier house. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe that matters more than blood relation in this imperial society. Yeah. I almost wish I knew more about like feudalistic power structures because like they are cousins 
I guess everyone's cousins, though. Like, that's, like, at this point in the universe. That's true. There's so much inbreeding. Yeah. All of the, one, like, the top 1%, they're all just banging <laughs> in their little orgies. I mean, even, I think, Baron Harkonnen and Leto Atreides are distantly cousins. Like, distantly cousins. That's true. Everyone in power is sort of related to everyone else in power, which is very thematic for Dune. He's my cousin. <laughs> yeah, so what? He's all of our cousins. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, maybe it's just like less important that they're related because everyone's sort of related. Yeah. The big takeaway here, though, is from literally birth, he's being raised alongside his cousin and very, very, very close friend, Shaddam Karina. Ever heard of him? Right. Now, even from an early age, Fenring, the baby count, <laughs> is described as possessing <laughs> remarkable wit and charm he's a charming witty child but also his characteristic ruthlessness which of course we know comes back a little bit later in his life Mm -hmm. i don't even know what this fucking means as a kid like (laughs) they're like man that is a ruthless five-year-old good (laughs) heavens (laughs) what is this i kind of think every child is ruthless but whatever (laughs) Anyway, the Dune Encyclopedia says this about his experience in court. His qualities, quote, enabled him not only to survive, but to nourish in the intrigue-saturated atmosphere at court, end quote. Oh, wow. And that's cool. Man, I need a succession-style, like, Imperial Court Dune HBO show Oh, so badly. Yes. I mean, they could even go, like, full Spartacus Blood and Sand, where it's like, Lots of violence, lots of court intrigue, like sex, the whole thing. Yeah, that'd be so good. That'd be great. It does sound like Fenring is thriving, though, here. Oh, totally. Like, being at court is his element. Totally, yeah. And the dude encyclopedia actually explains that, yeah, like, Fenring was kind of a popular guy. Uh, The court attendees all wanted to be in his squad, like, be in his aura. And (laughs) I guess this goes back to the ruthlessness of him. He uh, turned down a lot of them. Yeah. Almost all of them. But in a very charming way. Right. The encyclopedia explains, quote, It should be noted as further evidence of his talent that he managed to refuse all approaches made to him without antagonizing anyone beyond bounds, end quote. Aw, cool. Amazing. (laughs) He knows how to break your heart, but still make you feel good about it. You walk away, you're like... Yeah, that was fair. He's out of my league. He's great. <laughs> Harsh I love but him. fair. Yeah. Harsh but great fair. Great guy. Great guy. Love him. I'll ask again <laughs> next week. <laughs> but you can't be popular, charismatic, witty, and capable without attracting another type of attention, which is Ooh. that of the Benny Gesserit. Yes. Ever heard of him? Oh my God. <laughs> Gonna make that joke nine times this episode. <laughs> Which leads us to a scene that sounds awfully familiar. Mm. <laughs> and we'll come back to this a little later. But in the year 10,147, this is when Fenring is 14 years old, Reverend Mother Zoe Partherin. Ever heard of her? The answer is probably not. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Zoe? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Reverend Mother Zoe. All right. Who was Elrude? Elrude, uh, Elrude the Ninth's truthsayer, tested Fenring with the Gamjabar. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Now, this is, of course, exactly what happens to Paul. Different Reverend Mother. Paul never met Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> but her report? 
Zoe's report on the results. Hey, he did all right. Okay. Right, he didn't die. <laughs> so Fenring, human, confirmed. Capital H, human. Nice. Nailed it. But he was lacking, quote, certain qualities essential to his use in the Bene Gesserit plan, end quote. Mm. What that means, who's to say? I mean, she sends a second, more detailed private message to the Bene Gesserit headquarters on Wallach 9, saying the following, and this is, again, from the Dune Encyclopedia, but it's referenced basically in Dune. Quote, What she had first taken as a delay in the boy's development was something more serious. Fenring was a genetic eunuch. End quote. Mm-hmm. Now, a quick side note here. The full quote Frank first wrote in Dune is Fenring was, quote, crippled by a flaw in the genetic pattern, a eunuch, his talent concentrated into furtiveness and inner seclusion, end quote. Right. I've heard people come away saying he's just a eunuch. He is incapable of having children. And yeah, that's possible. That's actually probably the read. That being said, I feel like in context, it sounds to me, this is my opinion, sounds more like it's a metaphorical ending of genetic usefulness. Like the fact that Frank is pairing his genetic eunuch with this idea of being talent concentrated into furtiveness and inner seclusion, these traits, it sounds to me like Frank was saying he couldn't be used to further this genetic program. So genetic eunuch is more of a shorter way of explaining it, I guess. Yeah. Of course, I don't know for sure. Um, That's kind of just my read on it. Uh, Yeah, I definitely lean more toward your interpretation as well. Yeah. I think there's like nothing wrong with him physically. Sure. I think it's very much uh, his genes do not fit the Kwisatz Haderach plan that the Bene Gesserit have. Right. His genetics won't blend properly to get them the final recipe of the Kwisatz Haderach they need. So he's just got the wrong ingredients. I don't think there's anything actually physically wrong with him. Yeah. But you're right that it could be both readings of it could be correct. Right. And it's never explicitly stated. (laughs) Yeah why exactly he was turned down from the Bene Gesserit outside of these quotes we have here. Right. Yeah. And I don't want it to sound too much like I'm jumping to his defense. He doesn't need me to defend him. But (laughs) I do think that it's one of those things that I've heard so often. I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Regardless of your read on it, Reverend Mother uh, Partherin, Zoe, noted Fenring was clearly capable, like a tremendous asset for the Bene Gesserit to kind of keep tabs on as he continued to grow and develop. Right. As we will soon see. Indeed. Jumping forward a few years, in 10,153 AG, the old count, the old count Fenring, his dad, passes away, leaving his title and responsibilities to Hazemir. Right. It's worth noting that that's all we get as far as his dad. We don't yeah. we don't know who his dad, like what his dad's name is or anything. John. He's just the old Count Fenring. <laughs> John. Steve. <laughs> right. Now, apparently running the house didn't get much in the way of hanging out with Shaddam. Right. So clearly like running a mid-tier house is not as much work as being a great house. Right. There's actually kind of a funny aside from the Dune Encyclopedia here. 
apparently the now recently widowed Sirene Fenring, his mother, was really stoked to see how much her son Hazimir and Shaddam were hanging out because this kind of upped her own station in court as well. Right. It meant she got to sort of live like royalty and really be close to the halls of power, you know? Like, if you're taking your son over for a play date with the Nah Emperor, <laughs> that's going to get you pretty close to some very powerful and influential people. So, good for her. She's out here making moves in court as well. You can kind of see where perhaps Fenring learned some of what he knows. <laughs> yeah, I would call that, like, ruthless light. Fewer calories, but, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of... <laughs> Familial relations, totally. Yeah. Now, in this period, Fenring wasn't just a good friend to Shaddam. They're not just talking about ladies and gossiping and whatever. He's also demonstrating his value by maybe saving Shaddam IV's life, which adds another notch to his possibly the most important character in all of Dune, Belt. <laughs> uh, and all this comes down to the year 10,155 A.G., Fenring uncovered a plot to assassinate Shaddam. Oh, no. Damn. He overheard it at the water cooler. They're like, we're going to assassinate <laughs> Shaddam before. And he's like, what? <laughs> so he went to Shaddam. He was like, buddy, some people are going to try to kill you. And here's the whole plot. Amazing. Beginning, middle, end. The whole thing. <laughs> and I'm sure Shaddam at this point was like, Oh, we should, whatever. Fenring is smarter than that, though. Fenring's like, listen, rather than quietly, you know, killing them or taking them out, making them disappear in the night, have them sleep with the fishes, you know, <laughs> I have a better idea. Let's publicly confront them. Because, first of all, it foils their plot. Second of all, think about what that says to everyone else. Don't fuck with me, right? Right. We're going to expose you. We're so capable. We're bold, right? It's a bold, wild flex. And it's also like, look how informed we are. You're literally showing them their own notes on how they're going to kill him. Yeah. And we've actually talked about this moment on past episodes because this is the moment that someone in House Carino was conspiring to use a hunter-seeker to kill Shaddam. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the hunter-seeker is one of House Carino's secret weapons, which was significant <laughs> because yeah. if they said, hey, we have a murder plot against you, it's using like a jagged, broken bottle. You're like, okay, so that guy in the alley, you know, that's <laughs> not an indicative <laughs> weapon. So this implicated Elrude. Mm. This basically goes back to Shaddam's own father, one of the only people in the universe who has the knowledge and authorization to order a hunter-seeker strike. All of this, top to bottom, is Fenring's plan and part of his plan. Yeah. He has his bases covered. He's literally saving Shaddam's life, implicating Elrude in a very bad PR you're trying to murder his own son <laughs> event <laughs> and also exposing this weapon to the Imperium, showing them hunter seekers. It's really like he's playing five or six different mind games at this point. Yeah. And really, it seems like he's winning all of them. Yeah. Getting his way. For real. It, it seems like he's already, before he rises 
to like the height of his power, running circles around people. Yeah. Like Elrude the ninth caught with his fucking pants off here <laughs> yeah. by Fenring. Not to mention how much it changes the Imperium when hunter seekers are introduced and other houses start using them as well. Right. As we see in Dune itself with Paul. Which is so recent. That's kind of what blows my mind here. Because the hunter seeker comes out, Paul kind of knows how to deal with it. All of this is happening like 50 years, 60 years before Paul is born, right? Something like that? Yeah. So less than a century in a, in a timeline of 30,000 years, less than a century ago, hunter seekers were announced to the universe. Yeah. In the end, Shaddam did not, made the choice not to, you know, his father's pants are around his ankles, decided not to put that on display for court and say, hey, everyone, let's point and laugh at my dad. No, he basically let that just be an unspoken expectation from everybody. And thus, nothing bad ever happened to Elrude ever again. Until... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's always an asterisk whenever you say that about someone in Dune, know. you know? There's it's always a like while. a huge... It's been a while, though, since I did that. <laughs> Oh, man. There, yeah, there's always like fine print. It's like, please, please read the fine print on page 476 about <laughs> this person's death because Elru the Ninth does die oh. just a year later to poison. Oh. <laughs> so not a natural death. My guy doesn't have a heart attack. No. He dies. He's poisoned. Now, the question naturally comes up, was it Shaddam? Right. Was it Fenring? These two men already protected themselves against an attack from Elrood, right. is this now uh, their retaliation? Quote, the question of the Count's involvement in that chamarchy has never been satisfactorily solved. Mm. End quote. <laughs> there you go. The question was raised, and the encyclopedia is telling us that no one really actually got confirmation if Shaddam and Fenring did this. But the likelihood seems very high. <laughs> That's nuts, too. Like, to get away with it so boldly, to murder the emperor of the universe yeah. with poison yes. in his drink and for no one to be able to say for sure, that's wild. It's wild. I mean, outside of a couple of anonymous think pieces written about this that do accuse Shaddam and Fenring of being involved, <laughs> right? no one out here is straight up standing up in court and calling him out and saying, right. you killed Elrude the Ninth. Everyone's just kind of... Letting this one slide, which is amazing. You can imagine Fenring pulled some incredible moves and some incredible strings to pull this off without a hitch. Right. It is noted that he, at this point in his life, is also a very accomplished duelist. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you imagine someone's like, fucking call him out. What do you mean call him out? Have you seen him with a knife? No. <laughs> you call him out. <laughs> Shit. I'll, I'll, I'll write right. another anonymous piece. I'm going to send another angry letter. Hopefully that does right. it. <laughs> yeah, tweet about it all you want, buddy. <laughs> Fenring's like, you want to at me on your main? Because I'll get you canceled, bro. <laughs> canceled with my knife in your throat. <laughs> Cancel you with Can life. Canceled from life. <laughs> the opposite of a keyboard warrior. Whatever that's called. <laughs> all right. A warrior. <laughs> Amazing. So, of course, with Elrude's death, naturally Shaddam ascends to the throne. Yep. He is the next in line. And this starts a period of Fenring's life that is very comfortable, where he rises to 
what could be argued is the peak of his power and influence as the right-hand man to the now emperor. Right. Shaddam provides Fenring with all of the comforts that anyone could want. Plenty of chome shares and an estate, all of which make Fenring one of the wealthiest men in the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. So things have worked out for him. This yeah. like sort of mid-tier house guy who befriended his cousin has now risen to be one of the wealthiest and most influential people in the Imperium next to the Emperor. All it took was murder. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Fenring, bro, I'm not saying anything. I'm not okay? saying nothing. All right. I'm I'm, not... <laughs> don't cancel me from life, don't, bro. Don't cancel me with your warriorness. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, all of this wealth and influence didn't come free right. because Fenring continued to work with and for Shaddam. He provided loyal service, taking care of things like quote unquote messy errands. I'll let you use your imagination on what those could be. Picking up jelly Probably a donuts. a lot of blood involved. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The, like, Maybe some jelly donuts, The too. dusted powder gets everywhere. Oh, it's the yeah. worst. Oh, it gets really messy. Walking shetty dogs. That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ton of messy errands he could be doing. But it sounds like mostly, and allegedly, he was just doing a lot of murder and intrigue for Shaddam. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah. basically the person whose hands were getting dirty so that Shaddam's could pl- stay clean. Right. But again, he's such a brilliant operative that they're allegedly getting dirty. (laughs) And no one can actually prove he's behind all of these uh, machinations. (laughs) And that's sort of the emperor right-hand man relationship that these two fall into at this time. Right. (laughs) Hey, Fenring, are your hands dirty? He's like, I don't know. Come here and look. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, 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 no. No, no. I I see they're clean from back here. I I have a meeting. I need to get to Now, all of these errands, these messy errands, earned him the title, and the title being sort of his nickname, kind of behind his back, sort of, the Emperor's Errand Boy. Yeah. Emperor's Errand Boy, which some, you know, supporters of Fenring were like, bro, that's fucking insulting. They're like good friends, they're family, you know, he's not just running errands, like he's so significant. But Fenring thought of this as, quote, an amusing recognition of his talents, <laughs> end quote. Oh, my gosh. Which I love. I just love that Fenring's out here like, yeah, that's one way of saying murder. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Amused. I love it. It's cool. He's above it. Yeah, that, that's such a cool flex on his part to just kind of be above the insults. Yeah. He's like, I rose to power, man. I'm rich and I'm powerful. <laughs> Call me whatever you want. Yeah. it is. A, it is a cool flex. Now- Fast forwarding a couple more years, in 10,173 AG, the next big significant moment happens in Fenring's life. Right. Because this is the year he's married to none other than our girl, Lady Margot. Hey, Margot. Who has recently graduated herself from the Benny Gesserit School on Wallach 9. Yeah. Now, Margot Fenring does have her own section in the Dune Encyclopedia, and as tempted as we are to sidetrack into her life and turn this into a Margot episode. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put a pin in her life and a discussion about her and perhaps save that for a future episode. She yep. probably deserves her own. But for now, what's important is that after she graduates from the school, she is married to Count Hazemir Fenring. And this is where the next stage of both of their, their lives kicks off right? and sets the stage for a lot of what's to come in Dune. Now, his marriage to Margot 
also happened shortly before another huge shift in his life and responsibilities, which is when 40-year-old Hasmir Fenring receives a shiny, which is to say Sandy, new assignment from Shaddam. Mm. Keep tabs on what's happening in Arrakis. Ever heard of it? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically, Emperor Shaddam is looking at the spice flowing from Arrakis and wants to make sure that he has his profits, you know, secured, while also, as everyone does, kind of continuing to stealthily pad his personal stockpile. And, you know, keep in mind at this point, the Harkonnens are in charge. He doesn't trust them. They're kind of a, they're a shitty house. He doesn't super trust them. <laughs> so he's like, I need you, guy I trust more than anybody else in the universe, to be there on planet Make sure everything's happening the way we want it to. So, Hasmir Fenring is sent to spy on them and guarantee that the operation continues as planned. Now, naturally, he does his job. Well, he's efficient. He's got a daily planner. He makes sure every hour is accounted for. And spying on the Harkonnens only takes up like 11.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. <laughs> I'm making that a complete out of <laughs> But he's got morning hours and evening hours. Point is, what is he to do? With all that extra time he's got on this sandy, boring-ass planet. Well, luckily, his wife, Benny Jesuit, And she has her own errands. <laughs> yes, er- errands. Errands to run, so to speak. So Yes, errands. Let's, let's talk about these errands. And this actually <laughs> yeah. leads us into the final phase of Hazemir's life before the pages of Dune. Yeah. So... A lot of his time on Arrakis, actually, like you're saying, not all that busy with his actual duties. A lot of that time then is shaped by helping Margot with her responsibilities to the sisterhood. Right. She began teaching him many of the Bene Gesserit ways. Observation, control, philosophy, all that classic Bene Gesserit stuff. Right. Once he's ready, presumably (laughs) she's sort of been prepping him for something, she drops the bomb on him. Hey, Hazemir, honey. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. I'm actually yeah. a breeding sister. Yeah. My main responsibility <laughs> within the Betty Jesuit sisterhood mm-hmm. is to seduce targeted guys, secure their genetic material in the form of giving birth to their children for the secret Betty Jesuit breeding program. <laughs> she is part of maintaining this genetic material that they so desperately need. To guide humanity. His response to this galactic secret? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds cool. Sure. I'm game. My wife seducing men? Hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. His response is really out of left field in the most honestly fenring way possible. Yeah, totally. Here's what the Dune Encyclopedia says about it. Right. Quote, Reverend Mother Partherin had not been mistaken in her estimate of the Count's usefulness. Fenring, already as thoroughly influenced by the Bene Gesserit doctrines as many of the Sisterhood's recognized members, adapted himself to the roles of benign cuckold with an ease that might have astonished someone knowing him only in his public capacity. End quote. (laughs) What an incredible little passage. (laughs) Incredible. So he just brushes this bombshell aside and basically just accepts that A- the breeding program even exists in the first place. Again, no, this is a deeply, <laughs> yeah. deeply held secret within the sisterhood. Right. 
B, he's totally chill with his wife sleeping with other men and having their children. It's all part of the plan. He gets it. Right. And he decides to help her with it, too. Yeah. Like, that that level of just acceptance and, yo, let me help. Let me be the husband you need me to be is just an incredible move by Fenring. Something I think a lot of us would, um, we would have to take a moment to process. <laughs> yeah. You know? No kidding. <laughs> Ladies, get yourself a Fenring. Get yourself someone who lifts up yeah. your dreams, whether or not they For involve real. breeding with other men. <laughs> yeah. H- helps you do what your sisterhood requires of you, whatever that may be. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so during their time on Arrakis, basically leading up to the year of uh, Dune, basically beginning, from 10,173 to the ever-familiar year 10,191 AG, Margot had three daughters, all of whom were sent to Wallach at age five. And we get zero mention of their fathers, just (laughs) no clue who their fathers are, because it doesn't super matter. Yeah. The Bene Gesserit, they mark these people as having genetic traits useful to the sisterhood. So Margot gets to work. She gets it done. Yeah. Now, we don't really hear anything about Fenring's part in these three seductions, but judging from how active a part he plays on Getty Prime with Fade Rautha, that we'll talk about in a minute, I personally, I suspect he was somewhat involved, at least supportive during these years, you know? Yeah. I really, I do anticipate that he's the kind of guy not to sit back and go, no, no, you go off and do your scheming. I'm going to sit in the palace and do nothing. No. Right. That's not nah. He'd get involved. For real. And, you know, I feel like I've made this joke before on the podcast, but I feel like there's probably varying levels of involvement. Like, if, if he's in the mood for a little threesome, why yeah. not? <laughs> True. You know? Yeah. Like, get it, he's, buddy. <laughs> That's amazing. He's like, listen, how involved can I be? She's like, I like where this conversation's going. <laughs> right. Let's keep this conversation happening. <laughs> for sure. I hope they did. I hope they had all the fun, all the debaucherous fun in the world. Oh, they went to Gamont for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, finally, to wrap up this pre-Dune section of Fenring's life, in the months leading up to House Atreides' arrival on Arrakis and them taking control of it, Fenring got to work. While Margot was leaving messages for Jessica, Fenring began bribing people, coercing people, probably murdering people allegedly allegedly fenring we're not saying nothing (laughs) (laughs) we're not saying nothing he was getting all of the pieces in place for this big house atreides shift because of course he's in on the plan he's shaddam's right hand man he's helping orchestrate this ultimate downfall of the atreides and that involves a lot of behind the scenes action right hazemir's overall goal was basically to make sure that all suspicion from the Landstrad was avoided. Nobody should know that the Emperor was involved in any of this. And when the attack on Arakeen did finally happen, that Shaddam was never connected to those events in any way to make sure that the cover-up was truly covered up. Right. He was the one making sure all those logistics were in place and that all the right bribes were put in the right places to keep people quiet. Right. How much did that all cost? <laughs> A pretty penny. A pretty penny indeed. We're told that over one billion Solaris was his budget, was just his bribes budget to incentivize certain groups and people 
to cooperate or to stay quiet. That's nuts. That's crazy. And ultimately, in this whole Arrakis affair, between Margot's note and all of Fenring's efforts, his billion dollars of bribes, right. the Dune Encyclopedia summarizes it in kind of a cheeky, funny way. Quote, of the two efforts, Fenring's was by far the more successful. End quote. <laughs> yeah. Because Margot's note is like vague and also right. too late. <laughs> Margot. Do better. <laughs> Margot's great. I don't I don't mean to give her too much crap, but it is funny to be like, yeah, Fenring, they were both busy, but Fenring got a lot more done. Yeah. And all that brings us to Dune. We're there. We made it. 10,191. So to summarize Hazemir's early life, recap. His early life marked by supreme capability, driven by ruthlessness, even in shoots and ladders. And an understanding <laughs> of interpersonal navigation. Lifelong friends with Shaddam. They have known each other since they were both baby counts. Baby Na Count and baby Na Emperor. Uh, <laughs> although later years, kind of a fixer in addition to friend, right? Right, right. In short, you need a dude killed, allegedly. Hazemir's your man, allegedly. You need bribes <laughs> discreetly placed. He's got you. Hazy's got you covered. If you need someone fired from their job, oh, Hazzy will do it, Mr. Hazmat will do it, and they're going to be happy about it because he is charming as fuck. That's Count Hazmir Fenway. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's his early life right there. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but, of course, there's still more to talk about because he does make some appearances in Dune. Right. And then we got to talk about what happens after the events of Dune, which we'll get into after another quick break. So don't go anywhere, folks. We've established Hazemir's life up to Dune, but now we got to talk about the events of Dune. So we'll be right back after this. Mm. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get into the events of Dune first. So let's talk about it. Fenring's first appearance in Dune is Fade Rautha's birthday celebration. And oh my God, there's so much more to this scene <laughs> than I was aware of when reading Dune for the first time. Yeah. And this really reminds me of Fenring revealing Elrude's plan to kill Shaddam. We know from Dune that he's at least operating on two levels, you know, two or three levels. He's operating on like four or five levels. It's wild. And understanding his agenda in all of its complexity is a bit of a challenge, but we're going to do our best to kind of break it down, right? Right. So on paper, in 10,192 AG, Hazemir and Margot are sent to Harko City on Giddy Prime as official observers for the Emperor. Right. Fade is expected to be the successor to House Arconan. So this is somewhat normal. This is expected for the Emperor to send Fenring to check in on Fade. Nevertheless, Fenring is also there with a secondary mission to... <laughs> basically like threaten the baron to give him a warning right hey stop fucking lying to shaddam <laughs> we yeah. know you're hiding stuff yeah continue to do so at your own peril right we will dismantle your house at, at, with a snap of our fingers and this of course is the cone of silence scene from the book that we love so much the stuttering mumbling Fenring, who instantly turns into a stone-cold fucking killer the minute 
there under the cone of silence. He's here to really kind of shake the Baron's bones. <laughs> Baron's like, is this a threat? Ben Ring's like, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Did I yeah. fucking stutter? And he's like, er- earlier you did? Uh, earlier you were, but, <laughs> but now you're not. Now you're I'm not confused. <laughs> I'm confused. And, and look, Baron Harkonnen knows he's a threat. This this is the quote we get from the book. This is what Baron thinks of Fenring. Quote, a killer with the manners of a rabbit. This is the most dangerous kind. End quote. Oh, so good. Right there. What an apt summary yeah. of Fenring at this point in his life and all throughout his life. Yeah. He's been charming. He's been witty. But boy, is he ruthless. He will fire you and you will be happy to pack up your desk and leave. <laughs> yeah. Now, throughout the scene, the Baron is obviously like very thrown off. He's confused. He's off put by everything Fenring is saying. He feels threatened. Didn't realize the Emperor knew so much of his secrecy. But as we'll find out in a minute here, Fenring is playing multiple games here. Yeah. There is much more than meets the eye even within this conversation between Fenring and the Baron. Right. And possibly even deeper than you expect. So to talk about what he's doing, we do have to focus for a second on Margot and her mission that she received from the Reverend Mother. Um, well, at this point, it'd be Gaius, Helen Moheim. If you recall, in that chapter after Fade leaves, Margot thinks to herself, watching the young Na Baron leave, quote, can that be the young man the Reverend Mother meant? Is that a bloodline we must preserve? End quote. Immediately after, Fenring asks her to give Baron and him some privacy, and they get to talking business. But literally in doing that, Fenring is accomplishing two clear things. Margot's mission from the Bene Gesserit is to seduce Fade and secure his genetic traits as a kid. The problem is... Baron Harkonnen, famously protective of his heir, protective of this beautiful boy that he wants to give his house major to. And he's wary of fate being affected by other kind of political forces and Bene Gesserit sisters. Famously, Baron Harkonnen, not a fan of Bene Gesserit. <laughs> Here's what the Dune Encyclopedia says about Fenring's participation in this mission. And this is wild. And this is kind of a long quote, but bear with us. Quote, On the night of their arrival, and on a sufficient number of occasions thereafter, for his lady to be certain of her pregnancy and her control over the boy, the Count engaged Baron Harkonnen in a series of arguments that left in the old man's mind no room for wonder concerning the activities of his heir. During the day's of Fenring's visit, the Baron was kept in a constant state of confusion concerning his status with the Emperor, oh my God. his rights involving appointment of Fade Rautha as his heir, and other topics the Count was certain would keep tight hold of his attention. <laughs> End quote. Oh my God. And I just gotta say, having read that, thinking about those things in particular, right? All of the things that Fenring brings up in that cone of silence are right here. And they're all calculated to really get under Baron's skin and keep him fully focused on that stuff. Meanwhile, fades off banging Margot. And we get this note here. This effort to keep him off, kind of off center, was so successful. 
Baron Harkonnen didn't even think to ask about Fade's activities until literally days after Fenring and Margot were gone. Amazing. You know, I'm imagining a week and a half later, he's like, oh, fuck, wait, Fade, what what have you been up to? <laughs> and at this point, Fade was hypno-conditioned, whatever that means, to have forgotten what had happened. Mm-hmm. So literally, he's like, uh, pff, who's to say, uncle, you know, around? Yeah. It's, oh, it's so much fun. And honestly, after all of this, take a second, revisit that scene and think about Fenring and Margot mumbling to one another, basically being like, yep, I'll set you up. I'll get you time with him alone. I'm going to take the Baron over here. We're going to talk about it. Then they're in the cone together. And the way he sets up these conversations, it's all deliberate. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. It's the best. It's like some spy movie shit. It's like some Ocean's Eleven, you know, except it's Ocean's Two. It's just Fenring (laughs) and Margo. It's all you need. (laughs) It's cool. It's like a heist movie happening here on Harco City. And they're just getting so much done. Like, the efficiency. Yeah. You got to scare the Baron. Use that as a way to also get Fade Roth's DNA. Yeah. Two birds, one stone. And also securing... House Harkonnen's, like, continued complacency with the Emperor. Like, yeah. he's still serving Shaddam successfully. Yeah. In addition to all this other shit. It's wild. It's so cool. Still clear to see decades later that he is running circles around people. Totally. Yeah. This is a dangerous man. Ugh, so cool. Now, following that scene, there's sort of a huge gap in our knowledge of what Fenring is up to for the next couple of years. Right. Because he disappears from the book, he disappears from the encyclopedia, and he doesn't return until the very end of Dune, the first book. Right. In the year 10,196 AG, as part of the Imperial Party with Shaddam. Right. When they confront Paul in the final scene. This is a scene we've talked a lot about. Everyone who's read the book, very familiar with it. But as a very quick refresher... We wanted to pull some highlights from that chapter and then sprinkle in some added details from the encyclopedia now that we're trying to examine that scene through the lens of Fenring's experience. Right. Quote, The Count focused on Paul, seeing with eyes his Lady Margot had trained in the Bene Gesserit way, aware of the mystery and hidden grandeur about this Atreides youth. I could kill him, Fenring thought, and he knew this for a truth. End quote. Oh, my God. It's so good. The whole trajectory of the story could have been changed based on a different decision by Fenring in this moment. Yeah. The Dune Encyclopedia gives us a bit more added detail about this Bene Gesserit training. Fenring is here paying attention to the minutia of the scene. Right. And Fenring, quote, recognized in this upstart duke all of the traits and abilities that he himself possessed the combination that had so long ago led Reverend Mother Partherin to hope that she had found the Sisterhood's Kwisatz Haderach. He recognized, too, that the younger man lacked the flaw that had killed the old woman's hopes. End quote. Oh. Amazing. And so imagine the kind of complex cocktail of emotions that is. Yeah. Not only, I think, I don't get the sense that Fenring is like, angry with his life and like frustrated at the like being one of the no. richest dudes in the universe and <laughs> able to allegedly murder whoever and all of that yeah but to see like paul and to see oh you 
oh, you have all of the things I had at your age, yeah. but you don't have that thing, that thing that I have, that furtiveness, that inner seclusion. So interesting. That's got to be such an interesting feeling for him. Yeah. And he actually continues to sort of suss out this scene as well, because in Dune, jumping back to the actual book, we get this quote. Something in his own secretive depths stayed the count then, and he glimpsed briefly, inadequately, the advantage he held over Paul, a way of hiding from the youth, a furtiveness of person and motives that no eye could penetrate, end quote. That's, that's just so cool. To me, yeah. the deeper meaning of this quote doesn't actually make sense until you read Messiah and learn about how prescience works. Mm. Fenring doesn't know how prescience works. Again, he gl- glimpsed briefly, inadequately, this advantage, but he sort of instinctively knew that Paul couldn't see Fenring in his visions. Right. And we know Paul couldn't because in that moment, from Paul's perspective, he turns to Fenring and he's like, that's a fucking face I've never seen who before. The, who the fuck <laughs> is that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, Paul's having infinite visions. He has seen this scene play out, except for that man standing right there. The Count senses this in this moment. He realizes that he and Paul have this sort of shared connection as potential Kwisatz Hatteraks. Yeah. And that, in some way, he can stay hidden from Paul. I, good heavens, because I hadn't thought of it like that. Man, there's a lot to say about that, thinking about events of like heretics in Chapter House, which, of course, we're not going to talk about. But, man, those who know, know. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Moving away from that insane thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good interpretation. That's that's really wild to think. Yeah, because that's such a poignant moment when Paul's like, what the fuck? Who is that man? Like, I've never seen him before. That is like a very significant little moment in Dune. And that idea that that, that is his power in that moment, that advantage. It's so cool. Yeah. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia does point out Paul recognizes the same thing, but the other way around. Paul is recognizing everything Fenring was, seeing the Gamjabar test, seeing, you know, being manipulated by the Bene Gesserit and seeing how maybe even just how little agency Fenring sometimes had in some of these grand machinations and had a deep, compelling compassion for Fenring, like man, he went through a lot of the shit that I've gone through. And that's wild. And Fenring, in turn, recognizes Paul's understanding and compassion. Fenring sees that Paul understands what he's been through and has compassion for him. And that is really affecting. That is really uh, significant for Fenring. Yeah. From the Dune Encyclopedia, quote, That understanding was a gift no one else had ever given him. The Count could not bring himself to kill its giver. End quote. Oh my God. Didn't expect to be tearing up (laughs) in this conversation. That's beautiful. If this, if they got married, these would be in their wedding vows. You know, that was a gift no one else ever gave me. I couldn't yeah. have brought myself to kill the giver. <laughs> <laughs> the wedding party's like, um, excuse me? Uh, what? What? <laughs> Everyone else is like, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> now, all of this leads up to, as we know, Fenring basically telling Shaddam, I can't do it. 
I'm not going to kill him. And this may have been the first time that he disobeyed an order from Shaddam in 63 years Yeah, of serving him, of knowing him, of being his stick that he can lean on. This may have been the very first time that Fenring was like, no. And that's wild to me. Like, we know it's significant. We know that it's a big moment. But think about, for Shaddam, this is over half a century of this man will get the job done. Right. And this is the first time he's like, no, I can't. I won't. Yeah. What a, what a betrayal that must feel like. Yeah. Surreal. Like, what is what is happening? This is, I can't, I can't even imagine. I can imagine he can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. It happened. It's a tough yeah. moment. And look, our boy Shaddam reacts. <laughs> poorly, yeah. He, he he reacts poorly, immaturely. <laughs> he like slaps Fenring yeah. in the moment. Like this like childish reaction of anger against Fenring. And we get this quote in the book itself. A dark flush spread up and over the Count's face. He looked directly at the Emperor, <laughs> spoke with deliberate lack of emphasis. We have been friends, Majesty. What I do now is out of friendship. I shall forget that you struck me. End quote. Oh, I love him. <laughs> so good. That is chilling. <sighs> so good. <laughs> now, in the book, that's about as much info as we get as that about that interaction. But the Dune Encyclopedia gives us a little more information on what that <laughs> moment was like from Fenring's perspective. This is all, I, I think this is fantastic. It's not as fun, but it's yeah. funnier to me, I think. The encyclopedia says that Fenring, quote, accepted the blow for the impotent gesture it was. <laughs> and quote. Yeah, like he was enraged by it, but he was like, that was literally nothing. Shaddam's clearly never thrown hands. That was for real. <laughs> he's oh like, wow. My God. Also, I'm going to forget how weak of a hitter you are, <laughs> piece of shit. Jesus. <laughs> he accepted oh, it for the impotent so funny. gesture it was. Oh, my God. I mean, our boy Fettering has seen some shit, you know, <laughs> getting like loosely slapped. Like that's probably slapped is probably like too strong a word for what <laughs> what happened, you know, just the softest royal hands. Like little marshmallows (laughs) against his hardened killer jaw. (laughs) Hardened killer jaw. Yeah. Shocked that Shaddam's hand didn't just shatter in that moment. Shaddam broke multiple bones. (laughs) Slapping Fenring's beautiful face. (laughs) How dare you? Ow! (laughs) Fenring's like, I'm going to forget that you did that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've had mosquitoes bite me harder than that. Yeah. I'm sorry, was that a breeze blowing just now? Or I don't know. I, I love just picturing Fenring with a jaw of fucking steel. Just like <laughs> like an adamantium like Wolverine jaw. An adamantium Wolverine jaw with the manners of a rabbit. That, my boy, is the most dangerous kind of all. For real. Oh boy. Unfortunately, that iconic moment is basically our last with Fenring in Dune. Right. And for the rest of the story, he doesn't come up again at all in Messiah or in any of the future Frank novels. Right, right. 
But of course, he does have a life that continues after the pages of Dune. So let's now pivot and wrap up Fenring's life by talking about the years after Paul rises to power. Yeah. So basically from that moment of that gentle breeze passing his iron jaw, (laughs) (laughs) that marshmallow thrown from 40 feet, barely noticed it. (laughs) Fenring got to work. And in that very Fenring way, he knew what he had to do. First of all, Irulan's getting married. Surprise. (laughs) So we have to like help Shaddam, his buddy Shaddam, through that crippling defeat and also the toppling of the Golden Lion throne. Yeah. So there's this Irulan marriage to figure out. He also took charge of setting up a place for Shaddam to live on Seleucus Secundus, right? Paul was like, I'm going to send you there and I'm also going to make the planet beautiful and lush and, you know, gentle, full of gentle things. So Fenring's like, oh, well, better, better hop on Zillow and look up like Seleucus Secundus apartments. (laughs) (laughs) So he's out there. Is the market as bad as New York out there? Almost. (laughs) Meeting a 4K a month for apartments on Seleucus Secundus? One bedroom, one bath, (laughs) $3,000 a month. It's awful. And there's a security deposit and agent's fee. It's, oh my it's really God, brutal. It's awful. That's why the Sardaukar is so resilient. <laughs> it's that rent. <renter's laughs> they got to pay for fucking rent. <laughs> so it hardens them, you know? <laughs> They're like, I'm willing to charge into battle and die. Means I don't have to pay next month's rent. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiating my rent down with my landlord is what made me a killer. <laughs> oh my god that's gonna make legitimately that's gonna make finding like a new apartment so much better just thinking about that it's so funny uh that's really okay shaddam right what are we talking about here shaddam is being exiled to salusa secundus fenring getting him set up and, of course, a U-Haul from Kaiten to Seleucus Secundus is expensive. So yeah, he's yeah. figuring that out. And Fenring and Margot join Shaddam in that exile, but not before they have their own sort of like errands they have to run, right? For sure. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, Margot had a number of daughters. And Fenring wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. Right. They were his wife's children. What a good dude. Yeah. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us he briefly returned to the court and set up a transfer of his holdings towards two things. Thing number one, he wanted to secure care for Eliza Fenring, who is Margot's youngest daughter. Right. And he wanted to make sure that she would be supported up until she could be admitted to the Benny Gesserit School on Wallach Nye. Right. Taking care of all that child care stuff. Secondly, he and Margot, as you said, also went into exile with Shaddam. So I'm sure that involved movers, a U-Haul, first class tickets, maybe a new rental. Right. He figured out all of those logistics as well. So he had some housekeeping to take care of back on Kaiten <laughs> before the official move to Seleucus Secundus. Obviously, none of this is like heart pounding, fenring, like iron jaw of death shit. <laughs> right. This is clearly not the... Uh, bribery and the murdering he's been doing his whole life this is all like normal logistical stuff but it is fun to dive into some of these details and read about them yeah like people in dune 
still got to pay movers whenever they move planets. Right. <laughs> I bet those spacing guild fees are fucking through the roof. <laughs> no kidding. Do you think Fenring's housekeeping that he had to take care of included pitching his Patreon and his merchandise <laughs> website? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. He's definitely selling like old blades that allegedly were used to murder people <laughs> on his merch store. Yeah. It has quote unquote strawberry jam caked on it. Uh, <laughs> don't taste it though. For real. Do not taste it. No, I agree. I like these mundane details. Um, it, it is not blood pounding, heart racing adventure and kind of gallivanting across the universe. But it's like it builds out the universe and makes it feel like a place where people live. And that is hard to communicate when you have to like tell a central narrative. So these sorts of extended deep dives, I think, are, are a fun place to build out those details. Anyway, Fenring lives out the rest of his life on Seleucus Secundus, which Paul successfully turned into a green, gentle garden world. <laughs> amazing. The fact that he followed through with this threat is amazing. Like, I don't recall in primary canon in, in Frank's books ever getting confirmation that Seleucus Secundus was like yeah. a beautiful planet. I, I think there's heavy implication that it's no longer the prison planet it once was. Right. But you're right. At no point in the later books <laughs> was Frank like, and then so-and-so Sardaukar smoked some weed on the rolling green hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's no, like, Hobbiton description <laughs> in, in Seleucus Secundus. Agola arrives exactly when he intends to. Uh, <laughs> whatever that Gandalf quote is. Yeah, it's true. We don't get any Sardaukar picking daffodils in beautiful right. flowery fields scenes. Yes. But I do like to imagine that, yes, Fenring moved to this planet, this nice place nice place for retirement beautiful and we do learn that he spends his final years further studying Benny Gesserit techniques with Margot. and during these final years he would make a joke <laughs> it's a very inside joke <laughs> this is hilarious I love this uh <laughs> he would joke with Margot that he was quote more Benny Gesserit than human <laughs> oh my <laughs> god quote, which is, I think that's a legitimately funny inside joke. Like, yeah. <laughs> just such a great use of Benny Gesserit axioms. And Margot, gotta love, shared sense of humor, thought it was uproariously funny. She's like, that's mm -hmm. some funny shit, husband of mine. <laughs> now, they occasionally had, like, Benny Gesserit sisters visit them during these years on Seleucus Secundus. <laughs> and we're told that the Benny Gesserit sisters who visited, whenever he made that joke in front of them, oh yeah, I'm well, I, you know what I always say, I'm more Benny Gesserit than human. <laughs> they would get uh, super offended. Apparently, uh, these visiting Benny Gesserit sisters were like, "That's not okay, dude." What <laughs> <laughs> makes it even funnier to me? It's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I love to imagine that he's a bit of a crotchety old man at this point too. You know, <laughs> he's, he's well past retirement age. Right. Just spends his time studying and annoying his wife's sisters. <laughs> you got some sisters visiting? Yeah, don't make that joke again. I won't. <laughs> I won't. Okay, allegedly. Won't. <laughs> now, Hasdemir Fenring passed away in the year 10,225 AG. Yeah. And the following year, Margot would then move back to the Benny Gesserit School on Wallach 9 and spend the rest of her life as a teacher at the school. It's through this that we actually get a sense of Hazemir's legacy. 
a little bit. He's obviously not the most pivotal character in the whole Dune universe, right? Like standing next to legends like Lady Jessica and Paul Atreides himself and even Duncan Idaho. Right. He ranks pretty low on the list. But we do get this little section from the Dune Encyclopedia. Benny Gesserit adepts who had studied under Margot Fenring would, quote, often remark on the number of her teachings for which she gave credit to her late husband, end quote. <laughs> and that uh, is beautiful. Yeah, agreed. It's clear that Margot and Hazemir had a loving, understanding marriage, even through all of the breeding program bombshells. Right, right. And the daughters that were never his. They had an understanding. They loved each other to their dying days. And they clearly had plenty to teach each other. Yeah. He learned Benny Gesserit from Margot, and she clearly learned plenty about the Imperial Court and allegedly murdering people from <laughs> Hasimir. Yeah, it strikes me. Think about how profound it is that for as comprehensive as the educational program that the Benny Gesserit have access to, you know, are privy to, are part of, the wide range. We've talked in multiple episodes about everything that they talk about and they learn. We've got Benny Gesserit adepts learning about like astrophysics and politics and all these things. So to think that Margot would come back to school and be like, you know what? I actually have a lesson for you all that's going to prepare you for this world. And it isn't found in any of your textbooks. It's found in the life and experiences of my late husband, Count Hasimir Fenring. Yeah. That's wild to me. Even though Fenring isn't name dropped in later books, I think about all of the Bene Gesserit sisters that we meet. I kind of like to think that many of them are now more capable because of the brilliant mind that was Hasimir Fenring. Totally. Basically. Yeah. He had an effect on that curriculum. Right. And who knows how many young Bene Gesserit adepts were better because of it. Right because of the things he could offer Margot and that she could offer her students. It's beautiful to think about. Right. Now, that, of course, wraps up Fenring's life from birth to death. But we promised a little Harak Alharba theory. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to share that before we wrap up today's episode. Yeah. This one is, this is an appropriate time, I think, to put on your tinfoil hats, everyone. <laughs> uh, your Gamjabar brand tinfoil hat. We sh Oh, we should sell that. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there is a theory <laughs> among fans of Count Hasimir Fenring in the Imperium. There is a theory that famous playwright, basically Shakespeare, Hark El Harba, was actually Fenring. What? <laughs> <laughs> Here's how this works out. So partially because Hark Al Harba was writing about subjects that were fairly sensitive and also very like clearly involved with kind of historical details, there was this belief that it would have to be someone with discretion and some intelligence network, an idea that they would need to be well-informed and connected. And Fenring was those things to the T, right? Right. Now, all of this requires a little bit of... Uh, faking of one's death <laughs> because <laughs> part of this theory is that Fenring did not die in 10,225. Instead, he went underground and only announced his death to forestall inquiries. But 
instead of dying or being dead, he lived 88 more years writing plays under the name Hark Al Harba, right? When he actually died, uh, you know, 88 years later, they basically transferred the fictitious identity to another person, blah, blah, blah. So that's one theory is, you know, Hark Al Harba is the pen name for Fenring who decided he wanted to kind of play historian a little bit with his information network. Yeah. That's one theory. Another theory from J.T. Dubes, <laughs> Half a Dozen Harbas, I guess that's a book. It was Fenring was the header or like the the leader of a group who collectively wrote basically the Harkel Harba plays, which is kind of, again, goes back to some people say Shakespeare was a collective or people say Banksy is a collective. Right. That sort of thing. And there are some things that the Dune Encyclopedia brings forward as quote unquote evidence and kind of Dubes thoughts on this. Ultimately, again, it's sort of like we have the history of, of him dying and Margot going back to, and that's fine. Let that's that's <laughs> that's what happened. Sure, uh, these are just kind of fun tinfoil hat theories. Yeah, I do. What I take away from this though is that we are with Paul and Jessica and Fenring and Shaddam and Irulan and Guys Helen Moheim and all these familiar characters. Bear in mind, if you're just like a normal citizen on Kaiten. You probably are seeing Fenring in the newspaper, you know, the right hand of uh, of Shaddam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're at court, you see him there talking with the best of them. Maybe he even makes a joke to you and you laugh a little too hard for a little too long because he's a celebrity. Like the idea of these characters being perceived by the common people is really fun to me. And I like that the common man is going but what if he fucking didn't die? <laughs> like, what if, like, I love these sort of theory crafting, you know, you've got Charlie Day with the red string and he's like, yeah. Fenring didn't <laughs> exist. And you're like, well, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of evidence to the contrary, but it's fun. It's cool to think about these things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's close out today's episode, Leo, as we like to do. Yes. With a question. Sure. And th- this one's actually kind of fun. Yeah. So we know about Fenring and Margot's iconic little mumble stutter speech. Right. Their secret language with each other. Right. If you, Leo, could share this ability with someone, mm. who would you teach it to? And in what cases would you use it? Well, uh, I would say life partner, right? Yeah. Um, but we are still kind of actively trying to find a Beverly for me. So uh, <laughs> that's, that is currently a... a, a, a Hard to say. I think in the grand scheme of things, yeah, like life partner, per- person you spend the most time with. These days, I gotta say, I'd share, I'd teach you, Abu. I would share it with you and share this ability Aww. with you. Okay. And hear me out. These are these are the situations we could we could take advantage of this ability. Yeah. First and foremost, we could go to sci-fi conventions. We could stand mm. in front of people who we think would be good to like rope into this Dune fandom of ours. Yeah. We could talk about how to best pitch our show to them in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so cool. And they're like, oh, these guys are so like mumbly and murmury. It's so. And then we drop it and we're like, how do you feel about Dune? <laughs> you like jazz? <laughs> you, like jazz. <laughs> you like jazz? You like jazz? I think that's great. I think that's a great idea. We could also 
shit talk other podcasters. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I don't genuinely want to spread negativity. I would never name anybody I have bad feelings about because, like, who needs to be doing that these days? Seriously. And at the end of the day, it's good to vent. It's good to be able to, like, talk through your feelings. But you don't want those hurting other people. So I think it's good to be able to have that language to do that safely and securely. Um, But that's my answer. You know, kind of mundane. Again, if I had a life partner, I, I I think I'd have a different answer. But for now, I'd say uh, I'd say you, buddy. We we spend yeah. a lot of time on Discord calls, uh, <laughs> so I think that works out. What about you? Did That'd you be a, great. Did you have a thought on this? I did. I I actually went with sort of the vanilla answer sure. because I I would follow in Fenring's footsteps here and share this secret language with with a life partner, with a wife. Right. Like honestly. Uh, I'm like no fan of marriage. That's neither here nor there. Now's not the time to get into that. <laughs> sure, but sure. like, how much more fun would married life be if you and your partner could like shit talk anyone, anywhere, anytime? Right. Using your secret language with each other out in the open. You're stuck at a kid's friend's stupid birthday party with a bunch of other dumb parents. Shit talk the other parents with your wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you're at a work holiday party. Your boss is right there. Should talk that guy to his face, to your partner. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be fun. It would be a great way to like privately vent and connect on a deeper level uh, with someone that you've already committed to spending your life with. I think, honestly, perhaps this was formative for Fenring and Marco's own relationship as well. They had a very long and happy marriage. Yeah. Maybe it was all the shit talking they were doing <laughs> in mumble speech. <laughs> You know, they say communication is like the most important thing. And yep. uh, they also say it's important to be able to laugh with your life partner. Right. Abu, it seems like you're setting yourself up. You'd be able to make jokes with your wife that like offends her friends. But <laughs> <laughs> unlike Hasimir and Margot, you don't have to worry about that because <laughs> you got yeah. your language. That does truly take the concept of inside jokes. To a whole new level. Listen, I'm a fan of niche humor, if you couldn't tell from the whole of all of Gamjabar. So, yeah. <laughs> Fenring would approve. Uh, allegedly. He'd allegedly approve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buddy, we're not saying anything. We're not put, the, saying put the knife nothing. away. Put the knife put away. The we're knife. not saying anything. Put the knife away. Allegedly. Put the knife away. The alleged knife. <laughs> right. I'm not saying you have a weapon well, or a reaching saying, for anything. I'm not saying nothing. I don't want to sleep with no fishes. All right. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in those sand trout, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. The, what would Fenring stands be called? Fen, uh, Fenrungs, Fen, uh, <laughs> Fenring boys, the, the fe- Hazamites, <laughs> the uh, Hazamifiles, 
Fen, fen, fen friends. Fen, fen friends. Fen friends. Let, let's go with that one. But dear listeners, I'm sure you got better ideas. Send them, yeah. send them our way. Please. <laughs>